0: Make everything as simple as possible, but no simpler. That is an Albert Einstein quote, which Todd Treseder implements when teaching retirement planning. We'll learn why that is coming up in episode 125. tired of the traditional money advice? Me too. Bienvenida. Welcome to the Her Money Matters podcast. Join me each week for down to earth money conversations that will leave you with more confidence and inspiration to help you take control of your money. And you will probably learn some Spanish along the way too. Lista? You ready? Empecemos pues. Let's get started. Hola, hola, bienvenida. Welcome. This is Jen Hempel, your host. I'm honored to have you here today. This season is coming to a close as we have one more fresh new episode next week before we call it a wrap. Like usual, during our break, I will have some replays for you. If you listened to last week's episode all the way to the end, where I announced the following week's episode, which is this one, you'll notice that this is not that episode about military and money because technology fails sometimes. I will make sure that that particular episode is made up in the future. But for today, I've got you covered with this impressive and superbly intelligent guest today. In this episode, you're going to learn why he believes in making money as simple as you can, but no simpler. You're going to learn the two key observations he made during his life that shaped how he wanted his life to look like. You're also going to learn what led him to work for the experience and not the money early on in his life. And you're going to learn the three financial models you should consider when planning retirement. Let me share with you a little bit about Todd Treseder. He graduated from the University of California at Davis with a bachelor's in economics and a passion for creating successful businesses. A serial entrepreneur since childhood, Todd went on to build his own wealth as a hedge fund investment manager before retiring at 35. He grew his net worth from less than zero at 23 to the point of financial independence just 12 years later. Todd has maintained his wealth by remaining an active investor and utilizing statistical and mathematical risk management systems for investing. Through his website at financialmentor.com, he teaches advanced investing and advanced retirement planning principles. Take the next step beyond conventional financial advice and discover what works, what doesn't, and why based on years of proven experience. Now, let's go ahead and meet our guest, Todd Treseder. Vamos a conocerlo. Welcome, Todd, to the Her Money Matters podcast. I am thrilled to have you here.
1: Thanks, Jen. Thanks for having me on the show.
0: Well, I know we've connected because of one of my or I think one of your favorite conferences too is FinCon. So I've known about you, we've connected. I don't know if you recall that, but we have connected in person. I have your book, How Much Money Do I Need to Retire, which I absolutely love just because it's a simple short read and just, it's not so heavy in the terms of you can get through it. For any anybody, you can get through it and understand it and feel more confident in terms of what do I need? How much money do I need to retire? So I completely love that. So I am excited to have you.
1: Albert Einstein made the quote, you know, make it as simple as you can, but no simpler. Right? Absolutely. And, and so that's what I did with the book. I took a very complex financial topic, I simplified it, but I didn't oversimplify it. You know, there's a certain amount of language and a certain amount of numbers in there that you have to have, right? Because it's ultimately, it's a math process and there is jargon involved. Right. Um, but I, I really, I'm known for simplifying very complex financial subjects. And that's what I try to do in that book.
0: I love it. And especially with the topics such as retirement to simplify it, it is a tough one, but you, I think you did a very good job.
1: <laughs> Thanks.
0: Well, let's start off with getting to know you and your money story, how did you grow up around money? What money conversations, money memories do you
1: have? I don't, you know, it's not a big issue in my life, at least that I can remember. You know, I had solid middle-class upbringing. There wasn't enough money in my viewpoint, but it wasn't like we were suffering, right? I mean, I had good shoes, good clothes, good food, um, went to a good school. We lived in a good area. You know, there was no big suffering, but I do remember, like, you know, really being challenged through college to have enough money to pay the bills and to get through school. I mean, I really got by on almost nothing. I I had one quarter where I had a hundred dollars of spending money, and for an entire quarter of school, and I had money left over at the end of the quarter.
0: How did you do that?
1: Just paid attention every nickel and dime, you know, and made a nickel and dime everywhere I could, you know, and so it just had to make it work. You know, things like, you know, you don't buy the books. Instead, you go down to the underground reading library at the university and check out the books and read them down there. And it's, you know, you just figure out how to solve it. Mm-hmm. When you have to, you do. And and so I did. So, you know, and I was at the bicycle capital of the world, UC Davis, and I couldn't afford a bicycle. So, but that was college. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I got really clear very tail end of college is when I really committed to financial freedom. I got really clear that if I had to lead a financial life, I may as well design it to become financially independent. I had several observations that I think really drove where I am today Mm -hmm. when I was in college. One of them was I was the youngest of three boys. So I watched my older brothers before me as well as I watched. I was in a fraternity. So I watched all guys graduating from college too and heading off and they would come back and, you know, think it was really impressive. They'd come back in their BMW or their Porsche and they would have cool clothes and they're living in a cool apartment in the city, but it never struck me as very cool because you know these guys were working you know sixty eight hour weeks busting the rears, living in cubicle nation and I kind of frankly thought being a broke student was a little cooler than that yeah. you know and and I remember I was riding I finished up down at ucla and i I was riding my bike through Santa Monica Park and I was watching the bums they lived in Santa Monica Park then they would play guitar and read books all day and just kind of hang out in the park and talk and do whatever play games cards and th- they were catered to they had food trucks that would come and feed them they had health care that would come and take care of them you know because the street people were all living in the park so it was a centralized place where they could be cared for and i was like god these guys got it better than my college friends that were graduating you know because at least they had their day to create and they had their day for freedom to do what they wanted uh-huh. and obviously i didn't i didn't aspire to be a bum, but the the contrast of being a slave in cubicle nation to get a little higher on the lifestyle grade, not a little obviously a lot compared to living on the street but it just didn't strike me i mean here's the thing i I always felt that life was about experiences, not stuff and I was watching these guys go off from college and head off into the workforce and it, it looked to me like they were heading off to uh, groundhog day. Do you remember that movie you know mm-hmm. where Wake up over and over, and it's the same day over and over. If you think that's how it's true for most people, I mean, 70, 80 percent of what you do every day is a repeat of the prior days. You do the same patterns, you do the same things, you sleep in the same bed, you know, you eat from the same fridge, you talk to the same people, you think the same thoughts. I don't want to depress you. I mean, well, God, we should all get, you know. <laughs> so I don't want to depress you, but it's just like there's a, a little margin of creativity. And I wanted that margin to be as big as possible. I wanted my life to be about experiences, not stuff. I wanted to own my time. I wanted to own my freedom. And so I committed to it. At that point, I said, as long as I have to lead a financial life, I want it to result in financial freedom. And that doesn't sound like a big deal when I say it. But if you actually walk the talk, it's life changing. I mean, I literally engineered my life to create financial freedom for my career, how I spent my money, how much I earned, you know, what I did with it what I did with my free time in terms of learning investing versus watching soap operas or whatever, Mm -hmm. on and on and on. I mean, I just literally designed my life to become financially independent, and it took me 12 years. And so I think that's kind of a long-winded answer to my money story. It wasn't, you know, I don't have the big childhood impressions other than, you know, it wasn't like there was plenitude, but it wasn't some big adverse thing. I think college when I started going out on my own is where I really noticed money oppression, just because I was trying to survive in college and I didn't have much.
0: Right. And I think that's part of your money story and the observations that you made from your college friends uh, that you were seeing them with their nice cars, but they were you were also seeing them work like crazy hours, right? So I think that's a part of your money story. And Tell us. So you mentioned. Well, I'll, give you,
1: I'll give you another real quick one. Yeah, my dad sure. My dad worked in San Francisco and he used to ride BART train, which is, you know, the local commuter train. at Skull Bay Area Rapid Transit. So I remember, you know, I'd go down. We'd have the dog and my mom and, you know, the kids climb in the station wagon to pick up dad from work. At, you know, he'd come in on the BART train, same, same train, same time every day. Right. It was just like clockwork. I just remember sitting in the back of the station wagon waiting for my dad. And I watched the trains unload. And it was the same people every day getting off the same train at the same time, wearing the same suits with the same shoes, same shirt. And the only thing that differed was the tie each day. Hmm. And I just thought, my God, if this is life, bury me now. You know, I just I wanted no part of it. And that that was just, you know, how I looked at it as a kid. I really valued freedom.
0: Right, right. And you saw that early on. I mean, you've made the observation from the kid that they are just wearing a different tie. Everything else ta- stays the same. So tell me a little bit about you mentioned it took you 12 years, right? To, I don't know if it was 12 years to reach that financial freedom, but you mentioned you engineered your way of life. So take us a little bit back as to how you did this because you retired well, at 35.
1: Yeah. So, and retired is air quotes, right? We'll go in and define <laughs> retirement, I'm sure yes, in the conversation, yes. but, um, so what I did was, you know, from that point when I was at UCLA and I I kind of had that realization I was going to design my life to create it. I, I immediately acted on it. So I went to the bookstore and I started getting books on how people build wealth. You know, so I was studying biographies of wealthy people and started reading about investments and stuff. So then one of my early conclusions was, okay, if you're going to become financially, invent- you have to become an investment expert, right? At some point, you have to know investing And so then, when I was coming out of college, I was an economics major, so that was a great major for that conclusion. And so I was interviewing with a bunch of investment management firms down in Los Angeles. And it was really interesting, because you know they were pretty strong paying jobs for a kid coming out of college. I had a really good resume for a kid coming out of college. And so they were pretty strong paying jobs. I mean, most people would have jumped at them. But I was looking at the work itself, and the work itself was gonna get me in the Cubicle Nation treadmill. And so I ended up taking a position with a startup hedge fund. It was just me and another guy. And I was working for a draw on salary and I was doing sales for this hedge fund. And the reason why is I felt that I could get real work experience in the hedge fund that would ultimately be more valuable. So I was working for the experience, not for the money. That is a key point there. Most people, they would have taken the extremely lucrative job with the big expensive firm that's in the glass high rise downtown Los Angeles and they would have been really excited about that and that would have been and you know I took a startup hedge fund with no no revenues I mean it was like the stupidest thing in the world but it worked out great um, I spent 12 I spent 12 years doing research on investment management risk risk management systems market timing systems basically I tested most of what's out there this is a, you got to go back to the early days of computers right so this is the first IBM PC there was no databases to model investment systems with I had to create my own you know, Apple II was just coming out of the garage. You know, it was cutting edge technology. I'm just trying to set the stage for how early this was in the process. And here's Todd modeling computerized trading systems and risk management systems. And that was my work for the hedge fund. That was what I did. That was, so my knowledge was just growing by leaps and bounds. I was getting paid to learn. And it was like the smartest decision I could have made. I rapidly, I actually developed some stuff that worked. I rapidly became partner. Mm-hmm. Um, and my income went from nothing up to middle six figures in just a matter of years.
0: That's awesome. Now, for those listening that don't know what a hedge fund is, could you briefly describe?
1: Yeah, it's skill-based investment management. So most investment management, your returns are based on whether the market goes up or down, right? And Mm -hmm. everybody's seen that in their portfolio, right? Yeah, this portfolio stuff. If the market's up, most of it's up. If the market's down, most of it's down. And so your return is, more function of the market, and then it has a relative return to the market. Whereas hedge funds are skill-based strategies where the return can do anything regardless of the market, right? So the return comes from the skill, not just from the market.
0: Perfect. No, thank you for that, because I just wanted to make sure.
1: It's kind of like the rocket science of investing. So I would be known as what's known as a quant investor, quantitative. So I developed all mathematical and statistical market trading systems.
0: Amazing. (laughs) And I developed
1: it from scratch. I mean, you got to understand, like, back in the day, this wasn't even a thing that was believed to even be workable. Right. Like, right now it sounds mundane. But I remember when I was in college and I was taking an investments class in college and the professor was like an acclaimed investor. He was a very successful real estate investor, um, very successful in his own right outside of his professor status at the university. Um, just through his investing. So he was, he was an authority figure and I remember I was in his investments class and I went up to him one day and I'm holding the investments book and it's got all these charts on a page. And I said, you know, I could make money off that and not know anything about it. And he's Mm. looking at me like I'm from another planet. And I said, I could just do it with math and statistics. You know, like, I mean, that's doable. I looked at these charts. I knew it was mathematically doable. And he's looking at me like, he goes, that's never been done. You can't do that. (laughs) It's impossible. And that was all I needed, right? That was all the motivation I needed right there.
0: You told me I can't, let me show you I can.
1: <laughs> it just seemed obvious to me, you know? And, and then I showed my dad, too, who was the only other investments authority in my life. And he told me basically the same thing. It's never been done. It can't be done. And so I went out and did it.
0: That is amazing. What a story. Awesome. And so tell me about, so you retired, well, let's talk about retirement because you mentioned you retired in air quotes, right? (laughs) At the age of 35, what do you define as retirement?
1: Well, first of all, let's get clear on something. I'm 56 as we record this in 2017. mm -hmm. So that was what, 21 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, I've raised a family of four. It's only on my assets. It's only in recent years that the business has even paid enough to pay the bills. Mm Mm-hmm. So we lived off the assets for 20 years or so. So, you know, retirement or financial independence, I have kind of a different viewpoint on it after having worked with a lot of coaching clients and lived through it myself. The way it's commonly taught is, you know, you build this huge nest egg, it's really like a mountain, you build this mountain of money, and that's what makes it so daunting for people is it literally is a mountain of money required in order so that So you scrimp and save, right? You get your career, you build up your career, you make a lot of money, then you scrimp and save and spend as little as possible so you can save it all, shovel it off to your financial advisor where he's going to throw it in some magical asset allocation formula and then you'll be rich at the end of the rainbow, right? And so that's how most people view retirement is then when they're old and infirm, then they stop working and all that money they saved up, now they start spending it down and hopefully they spend their last nickel and when they take their last breath, you know, fat chance, right? Right. I look at it a little different. I think... You know, first of all, retirement is nothing more than a euphemism for old age financial independence. And so we're really looking at financial independence equations and financial independence is very simply defined as cash flow from investments exceeds expenses. Mm -hmm. Right. So Mm -hmm. when the money that your investments throws off exceeds what it costs you to live your life, then you're financially independent in perpetuity. And so that's what I would call the cash flow-based model, which I explain in my book. The way traditional financial planning approaches it is a little different. What they do is they do an asset-based model where they talk about this big pile of money you have to pile up in order to do nothing of substance and spend it down for the rest of your life, as we just talked about. Mm-hmm. And that's self-serving for them, right? Because the bigger the pile of money, the more they make, right? Because they manage that good money point. for you. Yep, good. Um, but it's only one version of reality. So you have the asset-based version of reality and I show people how to design their wealth plan using the asset-based version. It's not wrong. It's just one viewpoint on it, right? Mm -hmm. And I show the cash flow based model and then I show one other model, which is what I'll call the lifestyle-based model, where you can shape and shift your numbers pretty dramatically based on lifestyle changes. And it's the combination of those three models that gives you a really solid understanding of the various dimensions of retirement planning and how you can manipulate or move the numbers around to work for your life goal and situation. So, anyway, that was a long winded explanation. No, the tar- I,
0: I love that. I love that. So, now you became a financial mentor. So, what do you define as being a financial mentor? Let's just start with that.
1: Educator. Educator. Right? So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, I educate people, I don't sell them investment products. So, the whole premise of financial mentor. And again, this sounds almost mundane now, but in the day this was revolutionary, right? Because I got to take you back to Charles Schwab just became a discount broker. You right. know, they didn't have online trading. There wasn't I mean, so when I started this, you know, people had full-price brokerage accounts like an EF Hutton or something, and what they would do is their broker would recommend stocks and they would have this portfolio of stocks. You know, when I started doing this and I felt that investment advice should be separated from investment product sales. That was that was the fundamental premise behind it is I felt like the internet opened the door.
0: Before we jump into today's content, keep your ears peeled for a unique reveal I'll be sharing midway through the show. It's something special just for you.
1: For a valid business model where you separate education, where all the person does is provide education, and they're not pitching you on investment products, which then creates a conflict of interest with the education you provide.
0: I'm with you on that.
1: (laughs) So that was the whole premise of Financial Mentor, you know, is pure education.
0: Love it, love it. And now... For those listening, some are at different stages in terms of planning or saving. I know you talked about your different models uh, for your retirement. And I know some of the questions that I get is, how much? How much should I save for retirement? And there's different trains of thoughts, But how would you, because I know you have a simple way to calculate approximately how much you should have to have like a good retirement Uh, cushion, if you will.
1: Yeah, there's simple rules of thumb that are accurate enough that you can use them just to point true north. You wouldn't use them to design your final wealth plan, if you will. But they're you know, something you can do on the back of a napkin that at least points true north and gives you a goal to work toward without having to get super fancy. So you could do like the 4% rule or the 3% rule, which works out to what I call the rule of 300 or the rule of 400 to make it easy. And so in simple terms, it's for every $1,000 a month you spend, you need roughly $300,000 in assets up to about $400,000 in assets, depending on how conservative you want to be to support that 1000 a month in spending. Now, there's a lot of assumptions behind that, right? Because it assumes a conventional low-cost index passive asset allocation portfolio. It includes... You know, there's various assumptions behind it, and so uh, again, is it accurate? Of course not, right? Nothing's going to be accurate short of personalized financial planning, where you go through it in detail and really map out your situation, your specific needs. Mm-hmm. But in terms of a rule of thumb, it's not that bad. Right? It, it at least gives you a direction, right? So you can look at it and go, I spend five thousand a month, so therefore I need anywhere from one point five to two million. Not a bad benchmark. The reality is you're not going to be that far off of that one way or the other. You've got kind of your high-low number. You know the range.
0: No, I love that explanation because sometimes there's, of course, a lot of calculators online that you could go to. And some of them are set up where if you don't necessarily have all the data, or maybe you don't understand, maybe some of the lingo on the calculator, not everybody understands. So I think it's really important to have something simple, because that's what I, you know, my philosophy is to always, you know, teach the ladies that I coach uh, and serve is to keep things as simple as possible, just because it It just makes it just a much more fun experience when you're not dealing with all this lingo, which it's important to know, but it's... Yeah,
1: so I have my own calculator online, one of the more popular ones out there. I mean, you know, if you look at where that calculator ranks in Google, it's surrounded by all the top brokers. Everybody's competing for retirement calculator term because that's Mm -hmm. the lucrative business, right? Because from the investment management side, if you're, you want people planning retirement because that's where all the money is. And so all the big names are competing for it. Mine's right up there with them. I love it. And the reason for that is it's unique. I designed it not to compete with them. That just happened just because people liked it. And so Mm -hmm. they've linked to it a lot. So that was never the intention. The intention was I needed something to work with my clients in designing wealth plans. And what I noticed is the conventional process was kind of built into the conventional calculators. Mm -hmm. And they had severe limitations that weren't practical from how real world retirements are planned today. So like if you look at mine, it allows you to put in different lump sum amounts, you know, so like if you're selling real estate or you receive an inheritance or things like that, there's lump sum amounts you can drop in there. There's different income streams you can drop in during retirement. So most people don't like to go cold turkey into retirement. They like to phase the retirement. And so it allows you to build different income streams in your retirement for different periods of time and escalate them. Some people have income streams from real estate or annuities. You can drop Mm -hmm. those in there. So it's just, it's way more flexible. And yet the fun thing is it's super simple. It's all on one sheet, right? You don't have to go through multiple forms or anything. It's on one form. And because I did it in JavaScript, which will mean nothing to people listening (laughs) because it's technical stuff for computer geeks. But the thing about it that's cool that people do care about, it's totally private. It Mm -hmm. exists inside your browser, and why that's cool is one, you have total privacy. It's not existing on anybody's server. You'd be amazed how much data is collected from these calculators because it exists on servers and you're inputting your data into people's servers. You may not know that. But the other thing that's really cool about it is you can change one number on it and you don't have to fill the whole thing back out again. That's and, yeah. And so you can do a lot of scenario analysis, which which is how real world retirement planning is done right. Because here's the truth that and I go through it in my book is Retirement calculations are only as accurate as the assumptions that they're built on, mm-hmm. and these assumptions are impossible to make accurately. I mean, literally impossible to make. I mean, you understand. I came at this with a different mindset than most people. I had spent my career developing market, you know, market investment systems and risk management systems. And so I had to know a little bit about what makes a robust, valid system versus what makes an invalid system. Mm -hmm. and Because otherwise, you know, we'd put money at risk and the investors would lose, which is completely unacceptable. I mean, I had millions at risk on every decision I made. It had to be right. And so when I went to retirement planning and I looked at what the models were, it was a laughable joke. I mean, that's why I wrote that book is I, I couldn't believe that that was the state of the art of retirement planning where you have to go in and you have to input your expected Date of demise, right? Your expected death date for both you and your spouse. Now, I—I mean, that's just an absurd thing. That only has relevance for the IRS and insurance companies where there's Mm -hmm. statistical validity because they have large sample size. For you and me, it's a binary result, right? We either we're either alive or dead, right? And it can happen. It can happen any day. I—I mean, I could die during this interview, or I could die 40 years from now, and neither one is probabilistically more favorable than the other, right? You know, so. I have an expected life outcome, but it's a statistical fiction. And so, you know, to put that into a retirement calculator and design your financial plans around some ex- life expectancy when changing that number dramatically changes numbers, it's, it's just crazy. Or let's take another number that you have to put in these calculators. You have to put in your um, you have to put in your estimate for inflation. Mm, yes. For, for like for like <laughs> thirty, forty, fifty years into the future. Right. I mean, that is such a joke because. You know, people who got PhDs in economics studying inflation, they can't even estimate it right one year into the future. And you're Don't supposed ask to, estimate me to
0: estimate it for you either.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So then you turn around, you're supposed to estimate inflation 30, 50 years in the future. I mean, with all that's going on in the world today, and you're going to have any sense of how this will all play out for inflation. No way. Right. Not it is. Chance. It is
0: complex. And I think that said, there's so many different that uh, exist online. And I'll be sure to link yours up in the show notes. But it's not easy to fill out. you just like, oh, I'm done. I don't know what to put here. Like you mentioned, right. the inflation portion.
1: Well, yeah. So what do <laughs> what what financial planners do? They stick in 3%. Why? Because that was the average inflation of the last 100 years. Mm-hmm. But I mean, mm-hmm. there's huge variance around that. And just because it was the last 100 years, I mean, you know, it was like 7% at one point in the 60s or 70s. Mm-hmm. You know, so when you change those numbers by one or two percentage points over a 30 years time span, it'll double, triple, quadruple or have or quarter the number that you need for retirement. I mean, literally, it invalidates the entire process just by being a percentage point or two off in inflation. And it's the same thing with your investment returns. I mean, nobody can estimate their investment returns one year into the future or two years in the future. You're supposed to estimate 30, 40, 50 years investment returns. Absolutely impossible. It is it's... the chances of it being even close to accurate are pure luck. I mean, it would be it's basically zero. Right.
0: No, and, okay. and
1: that's what you're building your retirement plan on. It's an absurdity.
0: But I really love your, your perspective and your point of view. And it makes me think maybe it's not the best analogy here, but when I was listening to you talk, it came to mind the, in the health arena, how there's the plate and how you're supposed to get, you know, the carbs and all this stuff, but how the health arena has shifted, right? Yep. Where in the schools, they're still going to give you the balanced plate of the yeah. carbs and all that. But maybe that's not the best avenue, you know, and that's what ca- yeah. continues to come to mind as I listen to you. Is well, yeah, let me being, explain Yeah,
1: ahead. Let me explain it because I, I mean, I actually have a framework for it. I call it first level knowledge and second level knowledge. Mm-hmm. Right. So first level knowledge is what you're talking about, like the old food pyramid kind of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, or like in dieting, dieting has a lot of equivalents to building wealth, right? In terms yes. of analogies, and so you know, diets don't work, budgets don't work, things like that. And so, in dieting, you know, it's all about counting calories: count calories in, and then burn calories through exercise, right? So you want to lose weight, eat less, uh, you know, exercise more. So simplistic level one understanding, but here's reality: reality is that our bodies are not checkbooks where mm-hmm. it's you know calories in, calories out. Our bodies are chemistry experiments. And there's things around types of foods, types of fats, food combining. It's way and more emotions, dynamic. stress. Yeah, yeah. How much sleep you get <laughs> affects how much weight you gain or lose. And mm-hmm. it's these are complex equations, but it's not that complex. Like once you understand it, first level understanding is characterized by static, simplistic model that anybody can get in a soundbite. Mm-hmm. And that's why it becomes widespread standardized knowledge. Okay, so in investing, that example would be uh, low cost passive index buy and hold, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Everything you need to know about it, you can know in about three sentences and then bam, it's done. So that would be first level knowledge. Not totally invalid, but it doesn't cover. Typically, what happens is first level knowledge is good for about eh, 90 percent, 95 percent of the situations it will work. And then there's this kind of five, 10% where it doesn't work and typically it exists at the extremes like, and I'm going to get too complex here because it goes into data stuff, but that second level knowledge is more dynamic. Okay. And there's subtlety to it. But yet the beauty of second level knowledge when you have it is it's accurate.
0: Mm-hmm. It
1: works and you can put it to work for you reliably. And so it's worth pursuing. And so what you're hearing me share is second level knowledge built on experience and actual, you know, live it, walking the yeah. talk and living it. And what I'm sharing typically when I talk about traditional financial advice is first-level knowledge. And the reason traditional financial advice has to embrace first-level knowledge is because they're dealing with the public and they're communicating simplistic answers, and the public has to be able to understand it, digest it, and take action on it. Right. I don't go there. Like I said earlier with the Albert Einstein quote, I go as simple as possible, but no simpler. And so if second-level knowledge is what's required to be accurate then that's where I'm going to go. Because I'm here to help people. I'm here to serve. And I'm not going to do it by oversimplifying.
0: Love it. And I have a question for you. And I'm curious because you have such I mean, as I listen to you speak such an amount of knowledge. I mean, your brain is just amazing how it functions. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) What would you say is the best money advice you receive? Because you already have a whole bunch of knowledge. I'm curious what you consider the best money advice that you've received. (laughs)
1: make more than you spend and invest the difference wisely
0: okay perfect I was curious <laughs> right. now this I has- mean really
1: you think about it, everything you knew about wealth building can be stated in, in a sentence yes. right yeah you need to earn you, you need to make more than you spend and save the difference and invest it wisely
0: absolutely well this has been fa- fantastic Todd as you know this podcast is about making money simple and taking control of it so how would you finish this sentence her money matters because.
1: Well, her money matters because it's integral to a fulfilling life. If you don't master your money, if you're not good at this game of money, then it hurts you. It it limits your ability to live a full life experience. When you master it, what happens is you gain confidence and it translates over to many other fields because the truths that exist in money exist in many fields, just as we played with here with diet versus money. And so your money matters because it's just one stage on which you play out life. But that stage happens to infect every other stage.
0: Beautiful. I love that. I appreciate you being with us today, Todd. It's been fantastic speaking with you.
1: Thanks, Jen. Thanks for having me on the show. It was fun talking with you.
0: Now, that was some serious knowledge, wasn't it? I hope that you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed chatting with Todd. Now, I do have a question for you to get you thinking. But before I give you that question or before I pose that question, let's go ahead and do the shout out or this week's La Mención. And this week's La Mención goes to December. She is a member of our community. And as we know... Our financial life is not always a bouquet of roses. Sometimes we have our downs. Sometimes we have our frustrations and our overwhelm and our stress. And that's hard to talk about. It's easier to talk about when things are going right, but it's more difficult when things aren't going so well or when there's a challenge or when maybe we're feeling frustrated. It's hard to talk about. And December has done just that. So I appreciate that transparency, December. And I know it's tough to talk about it, but I think just the sheer fact that you are expressing that it leads to more conversation, which can lead to some action steps and some solutions. So I appreciate your participation in the group and just keep at it. In terms of the question that I had for you that I mentioned earlier, it comes down to when Todd was talking about first level knowledge and second level knowledge. And if you recall, first level knowledge is just literally about budgeting or maybe some knowledge on investments, just the basics is basically the basic knowledge, right? That you know, you have to save, you know, you have to invest, you know, you have to get out of debt those type of things. And second level knowledge is more dynamic, more accurate. Uh, it's more in depth. So I want you to think about where you are at in terms of your financial life. Are you at the first level knowledge or have you been diving in to the second level knowledge? And give yourself some credit. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, uh, you have been diving into some second level knowledge because we don't just talk about budgeting and saving and getting out of debt. We talk about deeper issues as well. But I just want you to think about that. I want you to think about what your first level knowledge is. So my question is, or really it's more of a challenge or an action step for you to take, is to sit down and write out what your first level knowledge is. What are those things that you know and you're confident about And if you have dived into your the second level knowledge, what is that for you? What are those things that you are confident in at this moment? So I want you to just start thinking about that and really assessing where you're at, because that's important to know. And I want you to remind you, I know Todd mentioned there were three models for your retirement planning. So when you are, let's say you're have an appointment with a financial planner. Make sure that they're including those. I just want for you to recall it's the asset based model, the cash flow model and the life shape model, because that is more of a holistic view on your finances versus just putting money away to accumulate that wealth. All right. So I want to remind you of that. And that is pretty much it. Oh, actually, one more thing. I want to remind you that if you have been interested in any way, shape or form, and you just haven't reached out to me on my one-on-one coaching, that now is the time to apply. In the new year, prices will go up. So if you want, even if you are not ready for coaching, but you're interested, if you apply before the end of this year, before the end of 2017, you will be locked into this year's prices. Just FYI, if that hasn't been clear. So if you have been interested in that one-on-one help, which is basically me diving deep into your financial situation, assessing where you are at, and us together figuring out where you want to be, what has been keeping you stuck, and figuring out what action steps you can take to get there. So that is basically the scope of my financial coaching is to really, it's more of a holistic approach. If you haven't gathered from this podcast, it's not just about the money skills, but it's about different money actions and your money stories. So you can apply there at jenhemphill.com forward slash application. Now, next week will be the final episode of the season, and it will be just me. Uh, We will be tying our 2017 in a nice bow. We're going to be reflecting on our wins. We're going to be reflecting maybe on our financial mistakes. We're going to be looking at how can we plan out our financial life in 2018, including how can we create maybe a cheat sheet if you will, to get you out of those life jams because when life happens, that's when we just fall off the wagon. So why don't we create a cheat sheet together to help us? So we'll be creating a cheat sheet ahead of time to help us when life happens. So that'll be next week. And today I want to thank Todd for joining us, for sharing all his amazing, amazing knowledge. Don't forget. That you can go check him out over the at the financial mentor.com. And if you want to download his brain, if you will, he does have a course that I'll link up in the show notes. So you can check him out at financialmentor.com. I will also link up the calculator and the course in case you are interested in quote unquote, downloading his brain. So thanks, Todd, again, for joining us. You can check out the show notes over at jenhempill.com forward slash 125. And if you have loved this episode, it would be the best compliment ever if you could share it with a friend, with a family member, or even with a stranger. Just pass it forward. I would greatly appreciate it. So thanks again for joining me and I will talk to you again next Thursday. Nos hablaremos el próximo jueves. Ciao.